My name is Jeremy, and this is Good Beer Matters. In Belgium, they just nobody wants to drink non-Belgian beer. Why would you? That's the attitude of Belgians. For me, the beer is never really the protagonist. It's, it's usually a, a tool that I can use to tell a human story. Just savour it and savour the people that you're with. And that's how to enjoy Belgian beer, you know? Don't put it in boxes. Belgium holds one of the richest beer cultures in the world. But with a history and culture as diverse as theirs, beer is only the beginning. My next guest is a master storyteller who guides us even deeper into the world beyond the beer we already know and love. We find great experiences at the intersection of craft and culture. These are the stories of us, of great food and the beer that brings it all together. For the craft and culture of beer, this is episode 141 of Good Beer Matters with Brendan Kearney. Welcome back to the Good Beer Matters podcast. This one has been in the making for a while. I have been, I've been searched for the perfect guide to uh, the the world of Belgium through through its beer. Granted, many of us know Belgian beer, but those of us, myself included, who have never been to Belgium, don't really know what that culture is like. And in particular, because it's so diverse uh, and so interesting and so rich. Uh, it's hard to put your thumb on it, even if uh, even if you are on the ground. From from what I've heard from people who have been on the ground, but but today I found the perfect guy to to take us through the world of Belgium and her beer. So Brendan Kearney, if, if I pronounce that right, please forgive me. But uh, welcome to good. the Good Beer <laughs> Welcome to the Good Beer Matters podcast. Thanks very much. It's great to it's great to be on. Thanks, Jeremy. Uh, well, the pleasure's mine because not only um, are you our guide for Belgian beer, but you're also a writer, a photographer, and a podcaster. I think a few years ago, I took second place in some award, and you took first. So, be, because what you're doing is just is really it's just really wonderful. Um, uh, but tell us about really who you are, and tell us about the work you've been doing in in beer, in particular. Um, so I um, I kind of manage a, a a website and podcast about Belgian beer and Bel- Belgian beer culture called um, Belgian Smack, um, which really is kind of ser- serves my own curiosity as well as it does kind of tries to inform and entertain people um, who are looking to learn more about, about Belgian beer. Um, I write for a number of other publications as well, uh, the Brussels Times Magazine, um, Good Beer Hunting. Um, I've written for... Um, National Geographic, Lonely Planet, Pellicle Magazine, Craft Beer and Brewing Magazine. And um, I'm actually working on a book at the minute called Hidden Beers of Belgium, which is going to try and celebrate and profile some of the lesser known beers with um, pretty compelling stories. Um, so I'm I'm living in Belgium, originally from Ireland. And uh, I, I kind of, I'm telling these stories as a way to help myself understand this weird and wonderful place that I now live. That's a great point. Uh, you're talking about how you're telling these stories to the rest of us, which is great because there's so much behind a story. And I've got a separate question about that in and, in and of itself. But why is it that by telling these stories, by learning these stories, by the fact that um, by reporting on a place, you have a better understanding of it? Why? Why does that? Why? Why is that? Um, well, I think it's just um, a, a case of like spending time 
sitting with something, um, time affords you the chance to like make more observations. Time, importantly, affords you the chance to ask more questions. And you get, I think, a more realistic um, perspective on things if you can see it across seasons uh, with different people in different moods at different times. And yeah, so you, you kind of, you can see all the, the romanticism as well as all the, the frustrations and the challenges that, that come with being or, or doing a certain thing in this place. So um, I think just being on the ground, is, it's the same with any type of reporting. If you have someone on the ground, I think they can, they can go a little bit deeper and they, they pick up by osmosis other sort of cultural um, aspects which influence you know the the writing about a particular subject whether that's in politics or uh, language or uh, yeah. or other sort of more cultural and elements. how they're so, interwoven together right exactly and that that kind of gives you a slightly different window than if you're looking from afar and i think most of us uh if i were to use a, a horrible uh analogy uh most of us uh and, and i lump myself into this and we already talked about that offline and even on this uh but you know we study the belgian beards to become a cicerone to become a, a bjcp judge and and those of us who love beer uh the vast majority of us love belgian beer uh, and so we think we have a good sense of what belgium is like but I mean, that's kind of like speed dating where, where I'm going to try and get to know someone by speed dating, as opposed to just spending hours, weeks, months, truly having conversation, getting to know that person. Those uh, programs are really good. I'm, I've also done the Cicerone and, and, um, your BGCP and stuff and they're, they're really comprehensive and they're very well thought out, but like, yeah, exactly. It's, 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 um, I know that they're working with people that are also based in Belgium, which is really important, but um, sometimes uh, you get kind of a richer look at things if, if, if you're living here. It's also the reason that I don't write about German beer. I don't write about Czech beer. don't write about English beer. Occasionally I will um, do an, a story on Irish beer, but I think I'm also um, permitted to do that given that I spent most of my life up until seven or eight years ago living in Ireland, uh, growing up in Ireland. So I kind of, um, I, I think I can navigate that a little bit better, but, yes. um, my, my wheelhouse is definitely Belgium. The other thing you talked about is stories and I am utterly fascinated with stories. Probably I'm more fascinated with stories than beer. If, if I were to be perfectly honest with anyone listening and watching, but why, it, why are stories so central to an experience? Why are stories so central to a sense of place? Oh, we're getting we're getting really deep now already at the start. Um, yes, we are. I mean, sto stories are just stories are just the, the 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 best way for humans to understand something. So, um, what what I'm looking for is something that um, uh, showcases, uh, you know, teaches teaches us about ourselves. So, if I can find something within Belgian beer that's interesting to people that are interested in how how it's brewed or the history of a particular product, but they can also learn something, you know applicable for themselves that's kind of what i'm looking for i don't always find it it's not always easy but that kind of universality will will make the story more yeah. compelling um so what what is it that these people have overcome to to achieve this or to create this beer or how did they approach it in a way that we can learn something about you know being creative or um you know how did they you know, roll with the punches and and you know we can just learn stuff <clears throat> from in our own life so that's kind of the the essence and within story then you need certain story elements which you know you're always trying to find and because it's non-fiction of course if if 
they didn't happen, then you can't write them in. So you have to um, do enough reporting so that you can you can find the elements that will make it more compelling. And if you don't have those elements, then maybe it's just not a good enough story to write or to do a long form po- narrative podcast on. Yeah. Um, so that's kind of the, you know, there are frustrating times when you spend a lot of time talking to people and looking into something and there just isn't anything there. There's no dramatic tension. There's no change. There's no arc. There's no, you know, sort of plot points or any any element of, of kind of crisis oh, or... We're getting into a master class on storytelling, aren't we? <laughs> yeah, but those are those are the things, you know, you kind of need a second. Like, why is it important and, and where, how does it move? And... Um, you know, you can do that with 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 any anything, any story, as long as it's got all those elements. So it doesn't matter that it's Belgian beer, because in within Belgian beer, you basically have seven or eight generational family brewers who are um, navigating change of ownership, who are navigating um, a changing beer landscape that's looking towards uh, different use of hops, that's looking towards lower alcohol, that's looking towards um, um, different markets and, and business decisions. Um, you know, you've got a whole sort of uh, regional element to Belgian beer where people are speaking different languages. There are three official languages in Belgium, none of which are English. Yeah. Um, you've got um, a, a kind of a history which um, creates a kind of a, a particular pragmatic um, and hard and sort of hard to stop personality. That's, you know, Belgian brewers are noted for being relatively conservative in like how they how they brew with a lot of focus on balance and um not making too many changes all at once to previous batches but um actually they'll they'll be able to to because of just the character of the the nation the kind of understated pragmatism that they'll be able to um navigate almost any problem that comes up whether it's tax related or ingredient related or so all of those things make Belgian beer like a conservative, slow moving, but also sort of juxtapositionally innovative place to, to brew. Um, so those are kind of, it's, it, I mean, with that background, there's plenty of stuff you can write about. So um, yeah, it's a, it's pretty rich in story. And I mean, I've only scratched the surface myself. Well, I find it interesting that you, uh, that you call it conservative uh, when, when uh you know when we think about belgian beer we think about they're more the more creative of the bunch uh and and it's uh but of course you said there's a there's a practical history to why that is and everything else um before i dive down that there's something you said about story that just really caught my ear and you you think about um so so I also talk about story with work and and give talks on it and that sort of stuff. And one of the things I talk about is the difference between an anecdote and a story. We can compare that to a, a beer. You know, you mentioned you know uh, like a beer that you know just a general mass produced one note, one flavor. It's you know you drink it and you move on. Don't think about it twice. To me, that's like an anecdote. An anecdote is is basically a story without a point. It's like you know one time me and Brendan went to a, a pub and we had a beer and it was awesome. The end. That's that's an anecdote. That's a one note beer, mm-hmm. and this is a great analogy to kind of okay the difference between big beer and craft beer or uh, artisanal beer. The story, however, is you know has that challenge, has that mm-hmm. uh, story arc, has all those elements that you mentioned just a few minutes ago, and if it's told well, if there's a, if there's a real story there, if if the beer has enough complexity, 
then we're going to be thinking about that beer. We're going to be thinking about that story for days, weeks, years, who knows how long. It, and it's going to sit with us. It's going to affect how we think about things. It's going to change our perspective and even our trajectory on life. And here I am waxing poetic again. Uh, but that's what a good story can do. That's what a good beer can do. And it sounds like you're finding these elements or trying to find these elements there in Belgium. Hey there, it's me, Jeremy again. I forgot to mention that I also have a podcast with my dear friend, the incredible Julia Hers. Together, we've created the Sense of Beer Style podcast. It's the essential training for those who want to lead in food and beverage. We've created episodes to cover foundational beer knowledge, as well as style cast to walk you through each category of the 2021 BJCP Beer Style Guidelines. If you work with beer as part of your job, then subscribe and listen so you can become an authority. Go to senseofbeerstyle.com to subscribe. Yeah, I mean, it, I mean, to give your example, I, I always go with, um, I always lead with the human. So you've given an example there of how like a beer can be maybe the protagonist of a story and you talked about you know the the yeah. flavor profile and you know all these you know ester compounds and the way it's fermented and everything for me the beer is never really the protagonist it's it's usually a a tool that i can use to tell a human story um so within the production of that beer there'll be a whole series of events decisions that were taken things that happened to them that maybe prevented them from making the beer that they had to overcome um and the decisions informed like how that beer eventually became unique. So um, I'm always trying to go with the human. So for your example there, which was, or your anecdote, which is like the, the non-story yeah. where Jeremy and Brandon went to the pub, the end, right? Yeah. So what, what I, my mind immediately goes to Jeremy and Brandon went to the pub before they went, Jeremy didn't like acidic beers. So during the course of the evening, Brandon served to Jeremy a, uh, Bière de table from La Brasserie La Jungle, then a Old Brown van der Henste from uh, Brauerei Omer van der Henste, and then he served a Girardin Black Label Eau de Chuse. And by the end of the evening, Jeremy liked sour beer. And then you have some sort of a change. Now that's not a very compelling or dynamic story, but you know within that you have some sort of an arc, and that's that. Then you yeah. start to have more story. And now we think, oh. Now we need some sort of a refusal of the call. So Jeremy doesn't want to like sour beer. So then we put the element there. We, Jeremy's clearly the villain in the story. Well, no. <laughs> Jeremy is the protagonist. I'm just the guide. Yeah. I'm the mentor character, right? So, yeah. um, and then we build in a refusal of the call. Then there's something that happens or some sort of an inciting incident that, that pushes him into actually in, to go into the pub. And then, then we work towards some sort of a climax, you know, where there are stakes and, um, you know, if you don't have stakes, then why would anybody care about anything? So, yeah. I mean, this is just a very, very basic example of where I would go with this and uh, try and file all those elements. Again, when you're reporting and you're dealing with nonfiction, you you kind of have to um, you honor the honor the the facts of of what you find and make sure that you know it, it's um, it's factually true. Um, so that that's all that's an added element when you're dealing with nonfiction as uh, compared to fiction, but um, and the Americans are very good at this. I mean, the, you know, the, some of the best narrative writing comes from, you know, American magazine culture. And that's where I um, learned a lot of the stuff that I, that I try to do. I'm, I'm not sure if I always pull it off, but it's, it's kind of a big influence yeah. on me. Well, and I, I think about that too. It's like, you know, I, 
just reporting on the who, what, when, where, how, and why type of uh, reporting is it's it's necessary. It's good, but but you know but it's a whole other skill set. And I mean, I I um, absolutely yeah. have so much respect for people that do that. You know, where you can define the hierarchy of your um, your information in terms of its importance and. That that's a whole skill set in in itself, and then that's usually that type of reporting involves very quick uh, turnarounds. So you need to uh, know exactly where you need to go for source information. You need yeah. to get it quickly. Um, whereas my game is a whole lot longer. I'm usually driving to places and spending a few days. I'm spending a few months talking to different people, um, reading reports, uh, you know, or reading some background information. So that's a whole other different game, and I have so yeah. much. People that are doing that kind of news reporting, and and uh, and and I never did that type of writing. Here we are, we're talking about writing now, and not Belgium or beer. But we'll we'll, we'll circle back around. Uh, I love the idea of having that structure and and knowing I need to get this information so I can plug it into my structure so I can tell a quick, compelling story and turn this around and get and get this out by two, three o'clock, whatever it is. That never resonated with me. I was always more interested in the experience. I was always more interested in being the guide to an experience. Mm -hmm. I was always, ever since, uh, I, I, I remember it was a 11th grade English class. I, I remember for the first time hearing the question that drives everything I do. And, in 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 I spend my life trying to answer the question. So what? And for me, when we talk about these beers, when we talk about this culture, the reason why I do this podcast is I want to answer. So what? And, and you mentioned it before, if if there's not if there's not enough information there to to put together the story then you have to resist the temptation to make stuff up but maybe the story isn't there maybe maybe there is no good answer to the question so what at least in my my regard but that's the fun part is we're trying to find those stories that do answer the question yeah i mean you you just said it there like you've gone back to your 11 year old self talking about yeah. finding the story um and asking why it matters. And, you know, I don't mean to therapize you, but in the title of your pod, your podcast is Good Beer Matters. So you're trying yeah. to figure out why it's important. Yeah. So I, you know, I don't want to turn this into a therapy session, but like, this is obviously know, something we'll, that drives we'll you. Day, so, let's not. <laughs> <laughs> so uh, but, but I think we're both, we're both seeking the same thing. We're both trying to find the stories that, that change you that, but tell them in such a way where, where, it does take you on a journey. It does take you on a, um, experience so that by the end you're changed, even if it's just a, a fraction, you know, the, the taste of that particular beer, the, the, the note of that particular, uh, food or, or just that little storyline, if it's told well enough, if it tastes good enough, if it's complex enough, then maybe that will just adjust your trajectory by one degree but as you and I both know, if you're off one degree over a hundred miles or hundred kilometers, that's a, that's quite a big difference than where yeah. you would have been. Yeah. And that's, I think that's the whole point of all of this for me. Yeah, for sure. I mean, the, la the last couple of stories we've done on Belgium's Mac, for example, just to illustrate that point, um, you know, and it's, it's, it's almost like a little bit selfish because, you know, I, we would, we would have questions, you know, myself or people that are writing on the site and then we would try to distill that into a longer story. So for example, recently, Owen Walsh, who's uh, an Irish guy, also based here uh, in Belgium, he lives in Brussels. He, um, he, he, we were talking about the Belgian coast and the Belgian coast mm -hmm. is kind of the, the place that 
Belgians and foreigners love to hate. You know, it's kind of grey, it's beige, it's high-rise apartments, and um, it's always overcrowded in the summer. It doesn't get particularly good weather. Um, there are parts of it which are really ugly. Um, and we thought, well, is there anything in terms of beer and food that can tell us a little bit more about the Belgian coast and, and we, you know, we, we can find out, you know, what it's actually really like rather than this kind of surface level judgment of it. So Owen goes up, he spends several days on the tram, which goes the whole length of the coast, 67 kilometers. It's the longest existing uh, remaining tram line in, in the world and uh, stopping off on various stops across the different towns on the coast, drinking, eating, talking to farmers, talking to restaurants, and you know what comes back is rather than this grey kind of beige, boring, ugly uh, place, this very very colourful um, place with a lot of history to do with the fishermen that that have worked there over centuries and suffered a lot of tragedy, the war that's been there, the kind of industry of the people there, the kind of Art Nouveau and literary vibes that people came there in, in its Grand Epoque, and the, the sort of the contemporary places to eat and drink. So you have this kind of whole other story and. While the change is very small there, it's still significant because it's, you know, our perception of this place goes from being, you know, one thing to another. Um, that can also be done if you're, if, if I see, if I see a particular iconic beer, why is this beer iconic? Um, it's everywhere. How did it come about? And then that's like, for example, like the story we did on um, Omer, which is like a, a strong blonde verging on a golden strong ale. And it's kind of everywhere in West Flanders. It's uh, ubiquitous. It's extremely successful commercially. And the story of how that beer is, is, was concocted is totally linked to the history of the family that runs the brewery. The, the firstborn son of whom is called Omer in every single generation as a first name. So when you're born as the oldest, you get christened with the name because of the stained glass windows, because of the heritage and legacy of the brewery. And when you put your name on the beer, you better make sure that it's going to be good. So there was a lot of stakes uh, for that, for, for a big family regional brewery that owns a lot of cafe properties. Um, or it could be dealing with doing a story on on a on a new arrival, sort of a younger brewery like Brasserie La Jungle or Eilenbosch, um, Fuse Eilenbosch, or De um, Coureur is a new cycling-themed tap room in Leuven. You know, a lot of these these guys opened in the middle of a pandemic on the face of a, of a global energy crisis, supply chain problems. Um, how do you do that? And, and what do you do as a new arrival? Do you just deliver more of the Belgian blondes or do you become more influenced with international styles and the seductive qualities of the Yakima hop or, you know, so all those kind of, why the hell would you open a brewery in Belgium now? And what's going to be your differentiator are questions that can be answered in a story where there's change and there's, you know, plot points. So, those are just like because we've been talking more. We've been talking yeah. in 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 sort of generalizations, and I just wanted to give some examples of like some of the stories we actually do because we do actually drink Belgian beer and write about it. Yeah, well, it, it, that's good. And, and I did, uh, I did listen to that story uh, when uh, Owen went to the coast, and one of the things that uh, was kind of like an extra little uh, spice uh, on the on the dish was the fact that he hates the coast. And I love the coast. So I, I, I was listening to that thinking, okay, talk me out of loving the coast. I, I, I was like, okay, tell, tell me why, tell me why you hate it. And it just, yeah. just kind of see how it all evolved it was just really, really cool. Um, when we talk about 
there's so many questions I want to ask, but uh, uh, I'm forcing myself to focus because I'm geeking out a little bit right now between story, beer, culture, everything. <laughs> uh, when it comes to the beer, and, and you just kind of led into this, uh, you know, a lot of Belgian beer, uh, you know, is you know, not that old, not as old as we think it might be, uh, you know, maybe hundred years, maybe a little bit more, but what's happening now with all of this, uh, heritage beer in Belgium in the wake of all this craft, uh, beer and craft boom and demand for all that sort of stuff. That's a good question. I think there, I think, um, first of all, the, the word craft is not, that commonly used here compared to like, you know, if you go to the UK, it's, you know, it's every, every second brewery is a craft beer brewery. There's a craft beer bar. Um, well, I never use that word in writing because I'm, I'm, it's not used really that much in Belgium. And sure. I don't think it, I don't think it, I mean, I know it's officially defined by the Brewers Association in the States. Yeah. But and that, that yeah. definition has been fluid and I'm not making any judgments there. I'm just, I'm just sort the, it's usefulness to me to, convey the type of brewery I'm talking about in Belgium is limited. So it's not something I talk about, but in terms of like the influence well, of what, of what, if we, what, sorry to cut you off, but what if we were to translate that into uh, uh heritage beer versus innovative beer? Yeah. So a lot of the, a lot of the, the newer, more exciting people are not brewing IPAs. They're brewing like heritage styles, like Eau de Huse. Oh, Right. So, so there's, I mean, are they heritage or so all this, like, this is, I, maybe this is also a good point to make about Belgian brewing is that I, I know because of Cicerone and BJCP and the, the kind of the vastness of, of American beer that people are keen to put things in boxes, but it's, mm -hmm. it's quite difficult in Belgium mm -hmm. because, and again, this is also related to culture and history. If you look at how Belgium is divided regionally, it's kept a lot of its regionality. And of course, in Germany and in the Czech Republic and in the UK and in America, there is regionality in beer. But I, I have a feeling that the the globalization of beer is is kind of has had less of an impact in Belgium, um, partly because of its like, federal divided structure, partly because of its linguistic background, partly because of its history. But you know, largely in the West Hook, you still have all the hops. You still have a lot of tradition of, of classic Belgian ales. Um, in the Southwest Flanders, you have Eau Brown verging into the Flemish Ardennes near, near Odenarde. There's a discussion about Flemish red versus Eau Brown, which, mm -hmm. you know, uh, uh, we could go into if you want. Mm -hmm. um, you know, historically around Leuven, Hageland, um, Vlaams Brabant, you had uh, cultivation of wheat. So that was where kind of all the wheat the wheat variant beers originally came from you know uh, coming more commercial in the 1960s with Pierre Celis and the purchase yeah. of, of who hadn't by imbe interbrew at the time mm -hmm. um, um you know the fruit growing region of the Haspenhau, which is you know not now being you know changed a lot but but at one time would have influenced a lot of like the cherry and the creek um sort of ingredients that were served up to the rest of Belgium and then of course you have um the uh the six Belgian trappies, now five Belgian trappies dabbies who are spread across sort of the north and south. Um, and, you know, so there, there is kind of this, this, this regionality which persists and all of that as well as the, the kind of the, the linguistic 
changes. And the fact that it's such a small country bordered by, you know, the UK across the water, France on one side, which is a, a wine country, and um, Germany to the east, which is, you know, a big larger comp- uh, country. Um, you know, all those influences, it's, it's, everything bleeds into each other. And that's why it's very difficult to say that this is exactly this and X is X and Y is Y. So I think the box, the box thing, and I know that other international writers and Americans, people like Joe Stang, who's now the editor at Craft Beer and Brewing, who's lived in Belgium for a while, also says this, that, you know, trying to put things in boxes is, is um, maybe not the right approach. Although it's the natural thing to do, because how else do we try to work things out, you know? Well, and I think about, uh, you know, I think about beer styles and, and even, you know, I've, I've got a, a podcast talking about beer styles called Sense of Beer Style. Sorry for the plug, but I'm going to plug it. Uh, and we're talking about the styles. Um, I, frankly, I'm not a fan of styles. I'm not a fan of putting things in boxes. But how else are you and I going to communicate about this specific kind of beer uh, where it, it could take us? Uh, two minutes and a whole paragraph to describe. I'm thinking. Of, I'm thinking of something uh, sour, kind of brown, malty, uh, balsamic-y, but in the best way possible. Comes from you know the the northern part of Belgium. Yeah, or I could just say an, an old brown. You know. So there there is. Let's let's unpack this a little bit because there is an advantage to being able to just call a duck a duck, but not all ducks are the same, and and that's kind of what you're getting to. So how do the Belgians? go about just discussing style in a efficient manner. Um they're they're not that um even like this is both consumers, general public, mm-hmm. brewers, they're not um they're not that particular, let's say. Okay. Um, so like the the discussion we mentioned there about old brown and Flemish red, like yeah. the the term on the ground wherever Which, by you the are. Way, I, I like your pronun- pronunciation way better than mine. <laughs> just want to add that. I'm just I'm just repeating <laughs> what they tell me. Um, you know, everyone knows it as old brown, and I think there was there had to be some distinction made to explain the difference between, you know, fermentation, open fermentation in in stainless steel versus sort of aging in oak French oak. Uh, barrels um and even the the whole definition of old brown oh the nice old brown is largely led by leaf bonds which is now uh, you know uh bought by duval mordecai and it's kind of like a you know a um the heritage baby that they're they're still carrying um but on the ground it's old brown if it's if it's if it's slightly dark and got a little bit of acid it's an old brown and that's just like you know it, it doesn't it doesn't really matter and and even when i ask brewers sometimes like what is it and they're they, they don't even they haven't even thought about it sometimes this which is really strange because how the hell are you going to sell it yeah you know because when i walk into a bar and i i want to know what it what it is a lot of the times you don't you, you don't you don't even get like it's they'll just they'll just tell you what color it is maybe or they'll tell you what alcohol it is then so you'll just have to kind of order it and see <laughs> but uh so so that's um and that's strange in a place with such a diversity of beer styles, you know, from from bitter, dry to very sweet and malty to you know acidic, uh, to you know kind of you know even like the Belgian interpretation of international styles, like the when the UK brought their stouts and porters, you know, in World War, well, sort of in the interwar period, they became quite popular, um, and then you know you they were using maybe more characterful yeast. Uh, and maybe making the beer slightly sweeter so that that kind of developed into a whole different thing 
so yeah it's um there's definitely more fluidity in terms of like the description of it well i i i think uh it kind of reminds me of back in the day in the u.s pre-craft beer boom uh like like a lot of countries we had three beers they were all the same uh and and these days you get some people who uh, hearken back to that time and they say quote unquote i want beer flavored beer not this new craft bs yeah. that that some that some of us are enjoying yeah. and when i think about how as you describe, and I've and I've heard this, I've read this, uh, and I understand that uh, that Belgians don't get that particular with that. Are are they are they just kind of thinking that well, th- this is this is beer flavored beer. It just happens to be uh, brown, it, acidic, and come from barrels as opposed to yellow and fizzy and boring. It's not. It's not trying to avoid your question. It's, again, it's it's hard because you have different types of brewers. So, like, how can you gotcha. compare someone who um, is brewing a turbid mash? aging a beer for three years, age yeah. tops. And, and does that like, does that for 30 and, years because that's what his father did? How can you compare that to someone who yeah. is considering using the, the the fresh harvest to dry hop a low ABV, very dry, like like take something like XX Bitter, right? Yeah. You know, okay, they may have, they may share values, but in terms of the, the, the technical side of what they're doing, it's completely different. So, I mean, maybe we can generalize about particular groups. So for example, we can put Haral together, which is the, you know, the spontaneous um, group. So beers are spontaneous fermentation. So that's Lambic, that's Huse or Ode Huse, depending on who, who side you take in that discussion. Then you ca- you have the Belgian family brewers who, um, you know, is a group of like 21, 22 brewers across Belgium who are usually dominating their particular region and who are you know four five six seven eight generations deep um generally producing a mix of lager classic belgian ales and then they dabble in some mixed fermentation the traditionally in the you know right up until the 90s 2000s lager was their key product which tells you something about regional regional tastes mm-hmm. now strong ales are the, the the money ticket for the family brewers so then you have you have that group, um, and then you have let's say the small independent wave, and those guys would be I think more attuned to the types of the 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 craft that you're talking about, which is let's yeah. let's try, you know, to do a mix between a a, a Cologne Kolsch and you know a, a a dry German Pilsner. Let's try to do a a, a Belgian triple. But we're gonna throw in some Simcoe. We'll throw in some Equinot. We'll maybe get some. You know what? Let's 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 go Nelson Sauvin. Try and make it white winey as well. Yeah. Add in some grape must and do a refermentation, and maybe we'll even put that in wood. You know. So they're they're kind of open to doing that type of thing. Um. You know, they're in a way they're they're just experimenting and seeing what where their sort of styles hit for themselves, satisfaction, and also for the market. Um, then you have the group of uh, Old Brown uh, breweries, which are kind of the four big ones: Van der Hinste, Verhaha, um, uh, Rodenbach, and um, uh, De Brabendere. You can probably throw Van Hunsebroek into that in Isaheim, and uh, smaller ones like Alvina and Verzet, who who are kind of independent. But those all they're they're all trying to, in a way, maintain the heritage of that style. Um, so you have all these kind of 
stratospheres. And then again, within that, regional breweries are quite close because even if they're not brewing the same thing, they, they might be relying each, on each other for um, getting to market. So the distribution in Belgium is very regional and um, a lot of the, the best calf, beer cafes are working with a particular um, distributor. So if you're if you're based in East Flanders, you're going to be going to Oostakert uh, to get your beers from Heers and he's going to work with the breweries there. And if you if you go into uh, the Ardennes, you're going to work with Del Sar. And if you're going to the West, you're working with Van der Woude. So um, they will have their own association. So there's all these kind of stratospheres. So this is why it's, and it's not to not answer your question, but this is why it's difficult to say the typical Belgian brewer will do this. What I would say is that there are a whole swathe of brewers who are doing what their father told them and maybe not asking as many questions. Why do they not do that? Because there's a, a romance in doing what their father did and drinking this, the, the beers which their father did. Also, the beers are good. They may be conservative, they may be classic, but they are well constructed because of the 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 landscape of Belgian beer, even if a beer is considered boring by beer geeks, it will still be of a relatively high quality, which means well conditioned. Because it's been refined and perfected over generations. It's just you just wouldn't get away with selling yeah. something sloppy in the market. It would it would it would very quickly have to be remedied or you're out or you people won't buy it again, you know? Um so and and this is why international breweries can't penetrate the Belgian market. It's it's not that interesting because it's a small market, but you know, there is a cachet that comes with selling your beer in Belgium. And I mean, I, I never come across foreign beer. Whereas when I go everywhere else, you can get the national beer, but you can also get like six, seven, eight, nine other countries yeah. of, of, of excellent breweries from other countries. In Belgium, they just, nobody wants to drink non-Belgian beer. Why would you? That's the, the attitude of Belgians. So um, to sit, just to go back to your question about like the typical Belgian brewer, that's why it's difficult. But there is that conservative guy who's not that interested in, you know, getting so many online resources, they're going to use the same yeast maybe for all their beers. They're going to be um, careful about how it ferments out, how they condition, and their branding will also be very classic to, to serve a particular type of drinker. And then there's another group who will be really open, learn a lot, will try different ingredients, um, and yeah, everything in between. Well, and in, in what you're describing is the is just really explains why this is not a simple yes or no question or a simple question of style. No, but it sounds like I'm avoiding all your questions. No, no, I'm, no, no. I'm, no, I'm, no, I'm, I'm actually, trying to qualify everything. I'm trying to explain the, the reason that, and, that. Well, and and uh, and I'm trying to wrap a little bow on this because, you know, there is no simple thing. Uh, and that's why you can't just answer a question. You have to tell a story to better understand what's happening with Belgian beer because it's not that simple. All of it is amazing, world-class, tip of the spear, but it's not a simple, well, here, here's the beer-flavored beer of Belgium. That doesn't exist. That concept doesn't exist. Do I understand that correctly? I mean, if you're talking about beer-flavored beer, I mean, are you, are you talking about like lager, like a, a kind of European mass lager, or are you talking about... No, I, no I, I think the idea of, you know... When when I say beer flavored beer in the U.S., it's it's easy to think mass produced uh, American lager. When I say that phrase in Belgium, you're like, well, wh which one are you talking about? That's exactly my point. Yeah, I think if you if you yeah, that's probably partially true. If you were to go like um, 
the mass markets here still loves so they drink they drink a lot of european lager and and like there's a whole story about belgian european pilsner which is not like you know like the kind of more mass produced pilsner mm-hmm. which i think is still really interesting but yeah, i mean there's a really big market here for strong blonde ales um so that's why there's a lot of breweries who i speak to who release triples reluctantly as a one-off just to try it breweries that are kind of maybe a little bit trying to do something different or go against tradition or you know make a statement and then eventually they release a triple and it becomes their best-selling beer because with with the triple the belgian knows what he's getting he's getting um pronounced uh sort of yeast profile he's getting alcohol he's getting a lot of mouthfeel and he can sit over that glass or that chalice you know for 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 a while which is the drinking culture here you go into a cafe you get a menu you select a beer that it's delivered and presented beautifully um with beautiful foam uh in its own glassware and you sit over that um in in a, in a cafe where, where they're they're taking care and how it's presented and that's that's there are great bars in other countries but you know i have been to some pretty sh- cafes in belgium and been delivered perfect drinks whether it's it's the kind of the little um the little kind of ribbed tumbler pilsner glass and they mm-hmm. do go off the foam and like it, the foam is like perfectly 25 percent of the whole glass and it's just so the bubbles are so tight the lines are so clean and it's delivered to me you know perfectly dry with the little uh, placemat and you know are they they really keep their bottles really well and they store them correctly all their 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 longer aging beers are stored sideways they have baskets for pouring you know train station cafes even you know so i think that's also a big part of belgian beer culture which people mostly know about anyway yeah but the theater i call the theater of belgian beer and it's like really um it's a really enjoyable experience to go and to go and 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 try try beers like that well and that's a perception i have is is i can go to a lot of different places and order beer and sadly most places just go you know Here's your beer, you know, uh, and it may or may not have foam on it. But the perception I have about Belgium uh, is is you all have a wonderful way of getting the angels to sing every time you place a beer in the bar, and and you kind of turn just turn the presentation of a beer into the experience where it's like oh I need to stop and just like think of, and like talk about this before you even smell it before you even taste it there there's a whole art to that that seems to be that you guys have mastered well don't I'm not included because I'm not Belgian but but these get the Belgians have like well the, you can you can pass it on then for me <laughs> I mean the the um yeah there's definitely that I mean it, it just it's also they just wouldn't accept it otherwise I mean you could you 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 wouldn't be serving a beer in its wrong glass it would just be sent back or the the embarrassed to serve that a beer, so a, beer, a beer without foam i mean if you talk to the guys at duval they're like our job is to serve you half a glass of foam right that's their job yeah. so if they don't have that seven and a half grams per liter of co2 in the bottle then that that doesn't get released from the brewery you know yeah. and you know there are issues with that with pouring and that's also part of why like hospitality staff have to understand like you know how to pour beer so yeah, that's that's definitely a big part of it. I mean, all the stuff about the we, you mentioned this earlier about the history, and it's not maybe as long a history as people sometimes make it out to be, and all the romanticism about you know the wild stuff that's jumping around in the air and jumps into the beer and magically makes it beautiful. 
and all the kind of the, the long heritage of like, there is so much of it that is absolute bullshit. Right. And obviously it's in the, it's, it's in the favor of the breweries to kind of, um, to, to kind of prolong this for their own sort of marketing benefits. But for me, actually, it's in the kind of the, in the, the reality of it, the, the, the kind of the dirty, hard work, the, the kind of the people that have done sort of ingenious things to make something happen. That's for me is the romance of it, you know, and, um, you know, that's kind of, for me, those are the magical things, not the, not the kind of the big stories about like the wine stories of chateaus and popes and all that sort of stuff. Yeah. Uh, I, I would agree. Uh, and that's where going right back to the very beginning, you're talking about telling a story. It, it's, it's human first. It, it's a story of, of people, the way, how we connect, how we're different, how we're alike when you really drill into it. Um, I think that's the stuff that's just the most compelling, but, but, uh, just like the beer, you can't just share that quick antidote and say, it was awesome. You have to, you have to tell us, uh, tell a better story. You have to create a better beer so that we go through that journey. We go through that experience. So on the other end, we realize, okay, now I get it. Cause you can't get it any other way. Yeah. Yeah. Fair. And, and don't, and, and like, don't be caught up in like all the romance, just have your eye, you know, keep your eyes up because and, and it's also just going to lead to disappointment. People come, I see Americans come to Belgium all the time and they're like, why is this place closed on a, like a, a Tuesday afternoon or like a, a Tuesday evening? Um, and I wanted to go for a drink and it's like, oh, uh, they don't have any of the beer that I wanted to try. But instead of that, ask them, oh, what, what's the most popular beer here? Or have you got anything under the counter? And they'll just, you know, or sometimes you've been in places and they're like, oh, we, we've got like a, a, a table down in the cellar. Do you want to come down and drink some natural wine? It's like, yeah, sure. And those can be the best nights, you know, or you go into like a famous cafe that you've heard of that looks really shit and it's smaller than you thought, but actually it'll, it'll end up if you give yourself over it being one of the most enjoyable evenings where you'll meet the most interesting people and just try stuff that you have never tried and don't take it off on untapped. Um, just like, just savor it and savor the people that you're with. And that's how to enjoy Belgian beer. You know, don't put it in boxes to go back to something we said earlier. Yeah. Uh, sorry. I want to make a quick note of that. Um, so at, we're getting on in time. There's a couple things I wanted to make sure I, I touch on. Um, you, you've, uh, you've already kind of discussed this to a, a general extent. I'm, I'm going to try and, and press a little bit harder on this just to see, just to see what comes out of it. But, you know, for me and other people like me who have never been to Belgium, can't wait to go, can't wait to experience what the true Belgium experiences like, and not just what I've read in the books. How would you describe that Belgian culture? Um, Belgian culture generally, or Belgian beer culture? Uh, I mean, they're both. They're all, both. All they're of both. it. I mean, it, and I. They're both and I related. Know, yeah. Yeah, um, they're both related, and I know that's a big, big uh, answer. But uh, it's a country that is. Um, um, it's a country that that isn't a country. So it's, it's, it's very divided by its, you know, regionality and by its linguistic communities. Okay. So, you know, um, Flanders is not Wallonia and, um, the cantons where they speak German is not Brussels, which is a whole other animal. Um, 
and even provincially within Flanders, for example, there are some big differences in, in dialects and, and how people operate. But I think one thing they share is this kind of history of being ruled by different people and having to make things work. So, you know, the the Spanish come through, the Austrians come through, the Germans come through. And, you know, rather than... Um, you know, roll over, they, they kind of invent ways that they can profit. So this is how, you know, you, you know, develop things in, in terms of like, um, uh, you know, in their politics, but also in their beer and how they created certain things. So that's one thing is like, they're, they're pretty pragmatic. Um, they're also, um, relatively reserved. So if you're, if you're looking at, and this, this is both like the personality of Belgians mm -hmm. and in you know their institutions and stuff so i mean for example if you if you look at belgian beer i mean people pr know about it but it's it's also considered a niche i think and the belgians don't really sing about it in the way that they could i think given the kind of cachet that it has like in the same way that like the dutch have confidence or the french talk about their wine the, the belgians aren't they're proud of it but they're not you know they don't shout from the rooftops they just kind of quietly get but on they're with not things. jerks about it well, they're just they're just reserved, and that 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 culturally that has a, you know, um, that shows up in a more reserved uh, interaction. So you'll find when you talk to Belgians, they're um, um, they're not as maybe as warm and outgoing as say the Irish would be, and how they would welcome you. Um, but the long play with the Belgians is that like when you do get to know them you know, they'll, they'll do anything for you and you can develop really strong relationships. So it's just like that kind of, there's, there is definitely some sort of a wall up at first. So culturally that would be, if you were coming to Belgium, that's something that you'd notice that in, in hospitality and getting things done, the bureaucracy, um, that it's not always easy. Um, yeah. but they're people that culturally, they absolutely, because of their location and like in, in Western Europe, because of their history of agriculture, they, uh, you know, the port of Antwerp was a massive port for bringing in different foods from and, and cultures from around the world. Mm. They have a really good food and drink culture. So this is partly why their beer culture has evolved in the way that it has, that what, the way that they eat, like we talked about the theater of Belgian beer, the presentation, yeah. the glassware, um, the, the kind of the, the, the mix of flavors and stuff. All of this is like, they call them the, the Burgundiers, which is like people who really enjoy eating and drinking like from, from the Burgundy part of France. So they're the Behundiers of Belgium and they, they, you know, they have that food culture. So that's something that people will notice as well. Um, um, yeah, so th that's kind of, those are three or four main things. Pragmatism, um, strong beer and food culture, and um, quite reserved. Well, and, and I love the, uh, the idea of where, you know, you're not, you're not going to be necessarily... Uh, they're not going to trip over themselves to welcome you necessarily, but once you get to know them, then, then you're in and, and horrible analogy, but it's almost like when you, when you, when you're, when you're trying to get a good pair of hiking boots, you know, and when you try them on in the store and it's like, Ooh, these feel tight, they feel stiff. They, I'm going to have to break these in. But when you break those in, they will last forever and they will, they will just kiss your feet while you're hiking. Uh, as opposed to the ones like, Oh, these feel amazing right now, but halfway down the trail, you're, 
you got blisters. Horrible analogy. Please forgive it. <laughs> Belgians but, are but, just like uh, shoes that you have to break in. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah. yeah. That's great. Yeah, that, I love that. <laughs> that. That's the take-home message from this podcast. You're welcome, everyone. See you later. <laughs> but but I, I but I, uh, that was the image that you conjured. It just like it's such a profound experience. Uh, I, I just couldn't come up with a better analogy, but I think it was uh, apt. Um, uh, before we start closing out, uh, what are some of the things, if, if you were to make some predictions, what do you see in the next 10 years? Is there anything that you're excited about uh, beer culture-wise coming from Belgium? Um, the Belgian, Belgian beer is quite slow-moving. And mm. like when you compare it to America, it's like, you know, if someone makes a, a brewed IPA, within about three months, there'll be about 4,000 brewed IPAs, right? If someone yes. makes a, a glitter beer, you'll have a, you'll have a hundred glitter beers like in a week, right? Oh, God, if someone, yes. if someone makes like, you know, pastry starts, you know, all, all, all these are things that don't happen. I mean, they just don't happen in Belgium. I think even IPAs, you know, they're, they're in Brussels, for example, there's a lot of, uh, especially with younger drinkers, there's a big demand for IPAs, but like in, in a kind of a classic drinking environment, mm -hmm. um, certain beers have become hoppier. Absolutely. So in terms of looking forward, I mean, the thing that I'm excited about is um, just seeing um, brewers uh, work on quality. The things that they're going to do are work on quality. So that's like um, how they're controlling fermentation temperature, how they're sourcing their, their ingredients, uh, all the boring stuff that makes beer absolutely delicious and a great experience, um, conditioning of the beer. Um, Given the market, I don't know how much like wild experimentation there's going to be. Um, and post COVID, post pandemic, there's definitely a, a thing in the market here where people want familiarity more than they did pre pandemic. Um, you also have a trend in Belgium as it is globally of people drinking, particularly young people drinking less alcohol. So my, um, guess would be that there's a decline in the, the consumption of beer, but that people who are making high quality, interesting beers will still, you know, people will still drink beer as a premium product. Um, but maybe they'll just cho choose sort of more selectively. Uh, on, on the same point, there will be uh, an increase in low and no alcohol beers, which is a big challenge for Belgium, which has largely been sort of a, a market dominated by higher alcohol. Yeah. Is replicating that flavor profile where you have, you know, a lot of yeast flavor, a lot of phenol ester compounds. You have a lot of malt character, a lot of mouthfeel, because Re rep replicating that in a low and low alcohol beer will lead to success. But the technology required is still a little bit too far for most breweries, even larger regional family brewers who would have to make big investments. And a lot of that at the minute is, is being contracted with like three or four main facilities, like the Proof and Anders and uh, Martins and some other places like that. So. Mm. Where that goes, I'm in, I'm very interested to see, um, um, but it's it's always been slow moving. And while that I think has been frustrating for a lot of like beer enthusiasts in Belgium, why aren't we getting the glitter beer? <laughs> no, why aren't no why aren't we getting you know why aren't because we getting, you deserve better? <laughs> why aren't we getting you know um, cold IPAs? Why aren't we getting um, you know more double IPAs that type of thing or whatever whatever. Mm the new thing is um 
I think the the fact that those things don't happen so quickly here protects protects the the kind of the the market a little bit, and there's this kind of there's enough experimentation going on here. I think that you know um, it, it keeps it pretty interesting. So um, I think it's really challenging times for Belgian brewers right now, just given given the the economic climate, and you know the other thing is like, and I'm sure it's the same in America, but in in Belgium, beer the price point of beer is quite low, so the margins are low. So if all of mm-hmm. a sudden energy costs and your um your you know your raw materials are are a lot more expensive, like you know you look at some of these guys that are getting their, their even their their CO two for flushing tanks and like for carbonating kegs, they're, they're all like four or five times more expensive now. Yeah. So so that makes it difficult because Belgians won't pay. So if if I give you a West Mala triple, which is a nine and a half percent banana, you know, creamy um, beer that's kind of always on point. And I give you that you're you're not going to pay more. You're, you're going to be expecting to pay between like three fifty and four fifty euros, right? Depending on where you are. You know, Belgians aren't going to pay if if they're not if they're not going to pay more than four fifty or five euro for a West Mallet triple. How the hell are you going to get them to pay for your breweries, whatever it is? So you, you have to be competitive on price yeah. to move the volume. And with these with these kind of margins now being pushed or squeezed a lot by uh, these rising costs, I think it's a really difficult time. So, But again, Belgian brewers are pragmatic and they are really good at problem solving. So this is also something I'm kind of keeping my ear on the ground to see how people are going to change the way that their business operates maybe the focus on a particular range, how they're going to try and generate revenue, how they're going to partner with other people where maybe they haven't done before. So, you know, this is, um, if there's a country that's going to make it work, it's definitely going to be Belgium. I, I always, uh, I, I'd never advocate that we pay more for anything. Um, but I have observed and taken note that when I go to any brewery around the world, around the country, that, you know, the brewery itself, you know, sometimes they're a little bit nicer. Sometimes they're a little bit more, you know, humble, but, uh, invariably, anytime I go to a winery, those things are palatial (laughs) and, and, and there's a little disparity about how much we pay for wine and how much we pay for beer and what those producing entities look like. Um, so, uh, I'm, I'm just going to leave that there and anyone listening or watching can draw your own conclusions and we'll, we'll move on from there. Um, uh, thank you for your time. I've got a couple of closeout questions before we go. Um, real, real fun. If you, I mean, obviously, you know, you, you, you move around a little bit, at least, at least as far as we know from Ireland to Belgium, but if you could go anywhere in the world to have a meal and a beer, where would you go and what would you have? I mean, are you, do I have to make this decision based on the the beer or can I make, can it, can it be the whole experience? Whatever you wish. I would go, it's an easy answer. I would go to a pub in the Northwest of Ireland, County Donegal, out by Dewey Beach, sort of next stop Iceland, if you get in the water and it's very remote. It's, um, you know, um, very beautiful, very dramatic landscape as wild as you can get. And there's a, a pub there called Elliot's, which um, 
um, has both a few bottles of inverted commas craft beer from a, a very good Donegal brewery called Kinniger, but they also have all the big macro beers like Smithix and uh, Guinness. So I'd probably work my way through the three or four beers they have on offer there and sit in front of a, a fire um, and reminisce on my childhood days up on the northwest coast of Ireland um, with the Atlantic Sea bashing up against the beach and the wind howling outside and the quality time spent with my brothers and my parents and enjoying the kind of the, that's the beauty of the, the Irish pub atmosphere. Um, mm. A million miles away from Belgium. Um, any beer experience I, I would want to go across the world, I probably I probably choose Belgium because of there's so many places I haven't experienced. There's so much beauty, particularly in the south of Belgium. Um, and it's those kind of little pokey sort of um, understated cafes that look really shitty and broken that you end up having like the most wonderful beer experiences that no one no one else maybe goes to. So that's not that glamorous. You know, of course, everyone, I want to go to the caves in Pilsner Quell, And of course, I want to go to Maine and drink, you know, Allagash fresh draft. And yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I mean, of course. But take me to, take me to Dewey, to Dewey in County Donegal and give me a pint of something black. Well, and I think that is especially compelling because your first thought was to go somewhere that make get, that gives you a sense of home. And, and I, I, and when I think about, uh, one of my favorite, if I could choose my last meal, last beer type of thing before I depart, not, not that this is what this is, but one of my top things is I want to go back to the beach. I want to have a nice Mexican lager and, and either tacos or a plate of nachos. Cause I grew up in the Southern California beach and just that experience that listening to the seagulls caw, 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 and drive you crazy. There's something special about that moment, and so I, I'm I'm with you on that one. Uh, just uh, I I think I'll be wearing uh, flip flops in my in my version. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, and not I'll, a I'll be in like sweater. a warm woolly jumper. And, yeah, iron <laughs> <Yeah>. sweater. <laughs> yeah. Um, another thing I I just got to ask you is why does good beer matter so much to you? I think we probably uh, hit on some of these points, but I mean, why does it matter so much to you? Um. You know, you've, you've mentioned a few times about the beer itself. I'm, I always go back to the human part of it because to me, beer is the most human thing. It's something that, you know, it comes from some grain that somebody's grown, some hop that somebody's grown. It, it's, it's, you know, the, all the decisions that the, the brewer has made uh, in packaging and, and, and fermentation, everything. So um, why it matters is that someone has taken care to, to produce this for some reason that's personal to them. And, I, and now I get to enjoy it. And, the, in a way, the more work and the more care that they've put into it, the less I have to work or think about things and I can just enjoy it. So that's the way I always see it is like, has this brewer or these people, have they worked as hard as they can to make me not work at all? And that's why it matters. It's like, you know, you do the hours of cleaning so that I don't have to worry about infections. You do the hours of calculating and trials so that I don't have to worry about how, you know, the beer not being dry enough or whatever it is. Um, and if you, if you do all that and work your ass off, then I'll continue to enjoy and buy your beer. And, and, you know, it's a, it's, it's a very, very human product. Yeah. Cause if they mess up the beer, it's not going to take you on that experience or it's not going to take you home to Dewey beach. 
yeah, it won't matter. Yeah. Awesome. Um, so wh- where can people find you? Where can people find uh, Belgian Smack? Um, we're, yeah, belgiansmack.com and then all the social handles are Belgian Smack. So um, join the newsletter and you'll basically find out about all the stories, all the podcasts and anything that we're working on at the minute. So yeah, belgiansmack.com. Awesome. And, and Brendan, uh, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast. Thank you for the work you're doing and the stories you're telling. And, and, and I, I just love this conversation. We got, we got to talk about many things, but especially we got to talk about beer, culture, and storytelling. Those are my, probably my three favorite things. So thank you. Thanks for having me on. Appreciate it. Because I haven't yet traveled to Belgium myself, it's easy for me to make assumptions about the culture based upon my experience with the beer. But we must remember that beer can serve as a tool and a doorway. It's not designed to answer questions. It's meant to elicit them. In the next episode, we continue our beer travels, but this time we head to England and somewhere much closer to home. I'm on a virtual tour of the craft and culture of beer around the globe. I've put Good Beer Matters on video so I can take you along for the ride. If you know of a person, a place, or a beer story that needs to be told, let me know. Meanwhile, grab a beer, hang out with friends, and let your world open up. Thank you for listening. Cheers. Cheers.